Welcome to the GHG Cast, a window into the world of a Canadian company with a big idea to become the global reference for greenhouse gas emissions in the interest of reducing them. I'm Alexander Milas, and recorded from kitchen studios around the world, we're going to find out what a small team with bold ideas is up to. Along the way, we'll hear about the challenges, achievements, and setbacks, as well as explore the innovation, partnerships, and new ideas around this most important of subjects. In June 2016, GHGSat launched the world's first high-resolution satellite capable of measuring greenhouse gas emissions from any industrial facility in the world. So what does that mean on the ground? It means seeing our atmosphere with crystal clarity so that industries can better measure, control, and ultimately reduce emissions from greenhouse gases. And that's good for everybody. And this year, they're doubling down with a second satellite named IRIS. On the eve of launch, we sat down with J.F. Gauthier, who's the Director of Business Development at GHGSAT with over 15 years in the sector. So, J.F., great to be chatting with you. And uh, I, I have to say, it seems like such a historic moment for GHGSAT right now. I mean, wh- what's about to happen? Well, what's about to happen, Alex, is that uh, we're just on the verge of launching our our second satellite. So after four years of operating our very first one that was launched in 2016, we're now ready to finally launch this second generation of satellite, which harnesses all the lessons learned from the first one. And uh, honestly, this is long anticipated. There's been a few delays, uh, and we're very excited now as a team to have this second generation of satellite finally be launched in orbit to really uh, show what it can do. Indeed. I mean, so, I mean, for, for people that aren't fully aware, though, I mean, what has GHGSAT done to date and, and what, what makes it so unique? Well, GHGSAT detects and measures emissions directly from individual industrial facilities from space. But we do this using our own satellite. So that's something that wasn't possible before we launched that first satellite in 2016. So, so prior to this, satellites were primarily used to inform climate models with measurements made at a resolution in the kilometers. So our, our value proposition is that we measure at a much finer resolution. So it's 25 meters for the, the pixel size for the, the spatial resolution of our images. So we bring a layer of information to the models, which never used to be possible, which is to attribute these emissions precisely to sites around the world. So we measure methane emissions for a variety of industries, from oil and gas to waste management, mining, agriculture, and, and even hydropower generation. So it, it, I, I guess to kind of reduce it down in some sense, it, it's almost like a, having a very powerful microscope uh, in orbit at the moment. I mean, when, when did you launch your first satellite? The first satellite launched uh, almost four years ago in uh, June 2016. Which, I mean, that's a, it's a huge achievement for a private company to get something out there. And, 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 and what have the results been like so far? How how has it changed the way that people see the Earth? It's really fascinating to see 
um, just how insightful this uh, the results of this first satellite was. So we had a variety of objectives when it was launched. First, it was to prove that the technology could work. Like I said, satellite uh, observations of gases prior to June 2016 was mostly done at a much coarser resolution. So the even the concept to look at sources from space was very novel and needed to be proven. And 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 our first satellite really did that admirably but the the what's really even more fascinating is that the, we continue to get very um interesting results from sites all around the world we've identified emissions at in all the sectors that i mentioned earlier from oil and gas to uh coal mines around the world and even hydroelectric dams which had never been done from space before so, so, so tell me about these gases. I mean, because there's something unique about tracking methane, right? I mean, it, I mean, that's almost like a new development in terms of the kind of greenhouse gases that people are actually quantifying. Well, of course, methane has been around forever, but uh, but there has been a an increased level of interest, and there's been a an a rapid increase in in atmospheric methane over the last. Uh, several decades, and uh, and it's been identified as a bit of a low-hanging fruit because uh, it it is associated with some sources that that can be uh, that can be addressed quickly. So it, it is a greenhouse gas that is far more potent than CO2, uh, about 84 times more potent, in fact, over a 20-year period uh, than CO2. So so the idea here is that if you can identify the the sources of methane and address them, especially in oil and gas, but even in other sectors like agriculture, for example, which is a big source of, of methane emission, then you can make uh, a very quick uh, impact for climate change. Indeed. So, so I got to ask, though, I mean, uh, you know, when satellites go up, um, when missions happen, generally speaking, they're, they're given names, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, they, they sound literary. Um, they sound almost like drawn from from Greek mythology. Uh, your first satellite is called Claire. Tell us the story behind that. Well, um you know, we're much like these other types of satellites you mentioned, we're, we're engineers and scientists at heart. So, of course, these types of names also appeal to us. And, and of course, our industry has a, uh, a keen love of acronyms and things that are a bit, uh, a bit nebulous. But, but for the names of our satellites, it became very important to us to have, to have a meaning that was very near and dear to our mission, uh, to leave a better world to the next generation. So as a result, we've come to name our satellites after the children of our employees for that reason. Which is, a, I guess, a fantastic idea. And so I assume that uh, Claire and uh, Indeed Iris um, are very young children in the, uh, in the GHGZ family. That, that's correct. Um, so we, we hold an internal uh, poll or a little contest um, with the various options that are, that are available and uh, the employees vote. And uh, with 10 more satellites to come before the end of 2022, 
it's uh, it's great news that our team keeps growing and we shouldn't run out of kids names to use so so that's that's uh, that, that's you know great news on that front that's uh, well that's wonderful news but you know it's interesting because you know some satellite companies will put a dozen up at the same time why are you guys doing it one by one there are really merits to both approaches, Alex. And uh, instead of launching dozens of satellites with the same design and potentially having the same issues, we have decided to use instead a, a fast iterative approach, which means that, that we learn from the satellite or satellites that are launched uh, and incorporate the lessons learned into the next generation. So this allows us to continuously have the best possible technology in orbit, but it also allows us to scale according to the growing demand. Which I guess is a, a huge advantage because I guess it means you can, you can plan accurately you know, for, for the immediate needs. But uh, I guess sometimes things happen that, uh, that throw those plans out the window, right? I mean, I, I guess uh, as the tagline of the show is recorded from kitchens around the world, uh, uh, nobody has been unaffected by the, the pandemic. How did it affect the plans for GHG set? Well, GHGSAT has adapted admirably as a company, I have to say. So very early on, our entire staff started working remotely, and we have a very strong culture that we're very proud of at GHGSAT, and that's really what's been carrying us through. Um, it's allowed us to continue working closely as a team, and we've had several events over the last uh, few months here to really continue fostering that, that team environment and what, what really makes us uh, makes us special but but the biggest impact was the delay of the launch in march we were about seven days from it when personnel was pulled from the launch site for safety reasons i mean that that is a uh, huge change to outlook i mean because this isn't just about launch windows uh you know there's so much emotion i imagine that goes into creating something you know the build up finding the funding for it all how did it make you feel when you found out that it was going to have to go back well, obviously, it was uh, it was disheartening to our team. I mean, we we had worked so hard uh, to um, you know in the last four years, not only to harness, get the most out of Claire and learn from from her work, but then designing Iris and getting her ready for launch. So, um, but but especially after we had suffered a delay over the summer already after rocket failure. So. So yeah, it was it was quite the shock. It was quite disappointing, but we completely understood the reasons at the same time. The safety of the employees at the space center in French Guiana obviously takes precedence over anything else. So um, so despite the disappointment, this uh, we we were fully supportive of the decision. I, I suppose uh, uh, it, it's not as if it's it's never going up. I mean, you guys are literally days away from launch. I guess when you say satellite, you know, the image that pops into people's minds, uh, you know, can range from everything from Sputnik right up to the beer station, right? You know, I mean, so so give us a visual on uh, on how big Iris is. I mean, to 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 fit that many in a payload, I guess they got to be pretty small. You're absolutely right. So, so Iris is much like Claire is is very small, about the size of a, a common household microwave oven. So, 15 kilograms in mass. So, you can 
uh, you can literally hold, <laughs> you can hold her in your arms. You can hug, uh, hug Iris uh, if uh, if you want. So so that that's that form factor makes it possible to have that many. Of course, uh, depending on the size of the other satellites, uh, sometimes the the total quantity on a right share can be can be far fewer, and and also sometimes. Uh, smaller satellites will be added to the launch of, of a, a primary payload, like a, a bigger satellite, and then maybe a dozen smaller ones will be added. So, so really, there's a, a there's a limited amount of space on the rocket, and they they work to make the most of it. It's really hard not to humanize uh, a satellite, you know, that that's named Iris. I, I got to ask, uh, where is she now, uh, and and where is she going? Yeah, we've all been thinking about that, trying to picture, you know, uh, her being uh, lonely in a warehouse in the dark, uh, kind of scared, you know, but but uh, no, she was very safe. Um, she was already integrated onto the, the payload adapter where all of these other satellites are squeezed uh, squeezed in. So what, what happened when the personnel left the, the launch facility is that everything was put in safe mode so that... Um, you know, so that obviously the rocket wasn't fueled with propellant, for example. So everything, uh, all the satellites were, were disconnected at that stage. Many of them were still connected, being charged. The batteries were being charged. A lot of tests were being run. So they made sure that everything was safe uh, and stored and protected so that, uh, so that they would be ready to go as quickly as possible when they would uh, return to the site. And 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 uh, I mean, let's talk about the site for a second because this is really interesting. Um, where where is she actually off to then? So she's been in uh, in French Guyana um, in uh, in South America uh, for for the last uh, the last few months now. So so the this is the the the, the primary base for European launchers like uh, the Ariane rocket and the Vega rocket. Um, and it is a an ideal launch site for this because it is close to the equator, so it makes putting um, satellites into orbit much uh, much more convenient. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting part of the world. Are are you going to be able to go down and watch? I mean, it's hard not to imagine mission control in the classic sense, but uh, how are you going to see it go up? Um, unfortunately we will not be able to be present so it was like before the pandemic it was part of the plan to have some of our um some of our personnel be there be present to witness the launch and uh, witnessing a launch is really something uh, in person is really something that's unique you can really feel it in your chest and uh, when you have something on that rocket there's uh, there's an emotional attachment to it that is that is really difficult to to describe but uh, in this case, the entire team will be watching it remotely. We're not able to be together uh, at a bar, for example, having a, uh, you know having a toast together. But we will be organizing a um, uh, an online a remote party for everyone to launch together and share this moment because there will be uh, there will be a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement, and uh, and a big celebration once uh, once everything is uh, is successful. Well, I guess, uh, you know, I can't imagine what the feelings are going to be going through the entire staff at GHG set, but I guess there's a certain point where, with the exception of a few people, everyone's just going to be watching and fingers crossed, eh? Fingers crossed, yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't miss it for the world, so I, I, I won't, uh, I'll, I'll be watching, that's for sure.
Andrea Preva is the head of launch systems at Avio, and he'll be sending Iris into orbit from French Guiana. As he tells us, she's not going alone. So, so tell me a little bit about uh, what part of the world you're in. What, what do you see out the window, and what's it like living down there? Uh, out of the window at the moment, I see the Amazonian forest because uh, my office uh, is uh, located uh, in the um, uh, launch site that is uh, in uh, Kourou, in French Guiana. So from uh, one window, I see the sea. And from the other window, I see the Amazonian forest. I am in a building that is parallel to the to the seaside. So a very, very nice uh, view with uh, in, in, uh, in face in front of me, the, launch, the Viga launch pad. So, of all the places in the world to put a launch pad, why is there a launch pad in French Guiana? Because it's uh, French Guiana is located five degree uh, north with respect to the equatorial line, so this is a, a, a one of the best positions in the world to launch uh, 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 to launch in the geostationary orbit, because we uh, take benefit of the Earth rotation to save energy on board. So we use the rotation of the Earth to uh, put uh, speed, to increase the speed of our launch vehicle during the ascendant phase. And so we save, we save propellant, we save energy. I don't imagine any launch is ever, uh, you know, completely, you know, without its uh, human emotions. I mean, what what goes through your mind uh, in the control room when when you're about to put a rocket into space? First of all, each launch is uh, always different from another launch. So we are uh, normally very, very concentrated, uh, a little bit uh, nervous. But uh, um, if you look at the control room before the launch, the atmosphere is very, very calm because everyone is uh, dedicated to a single task. Uh, when something uh, is, uh, is not nominal, uh, usually there is an alert and uh, we group uh, together two or three people of the sector in which uh, the alert is arising and we analyze uh, the problem. So in this case, uh, we have uh, procedures and uh, we follow strictly the procedures. If we can uh, um, solve the problem in a certain time, we solve the problem. If not, we stop the chronology. So it's, uh, uh, we are very professional in this, uh, in this uh, uh, last uh, minute activities in the sense that we cannot have error. In this case, it's better to stop the chronology before and, and without and not taking a bad decision. And this is what happens. Of course, after the chronology, there is uh, the enthusiasm and the, um, we are proud of what we have done. And so we are happy. We do, we drink together and so on. But during the chronology, the atmosphere is very, very concentrated. So tell me, how has your like like your how has your life and work been affected uh, by the covid pandemic did, did everything shut down we were lucky because in our case uh, avio my company but not only avio the whole aerospace sector in italy was considered as a strategic asset so we were authorized to continue our activity is if we were able to demonstrate that we 
can implement a protective measure to contrast the spread of the virus of the COVID. And this is what we done. And we were facilitated in this, uh, in this uh, task because uh, as we are used to manage uh, explosive material like a propellant and so on, our shop, uh, we already implemented some rules of distancing people inside our office, inside our shops, because uh, we need to protect people from accident. And so uh, we, are, we are already uh, distanced, we, we are already these rules implemented. So in practice, we were able to uh, continue and operation with 70% uh, of efficiency. More or less 70% of the personnel continue uh, to, to work during this period in my company. Does it make you feel special to think that the work that you're doing is helping to transform the way that humans see themselves, the way that humans see their earth? Because there's so much discovery that is down to the, the work that you do. I think so, because uh, um, knowledge comes from uh, a new discovery, new, uh, new data. And uh, with our work with the launch vehicles in particular, we um, provide access to space. To, so to provide access to another, um, uh, another point of view. No, a place where you can see the earth from, uh, from another point of view. So you can discover uh, with a global view what happened on earth. And this is, I think, it's a very, very important um, uh, capability. And uh, I think that uh, with uh, our small contribution, we can uh, contribute to the progress of the life on, on, uh, on earth. Adina Gillespie is GHGSAT's Director of Business Development for Europe. And as she tells us, it isn't just about the launch, but what comes after that she's most excited about. So, I mean, Alex, I'm, uh, I'm interested in all of it. The launch is still an engineering marvel. It's very exciting. Um, there's, uh, the, there's lots of reasons to be excited about that. But, but me personally, I'm, I'm definitely more interested in what comes after that. For me, it's about the satellite up there operating and delivering data that, uh, that helps with decision making. And in our case, it helps, uh, it helps identify greenhouse gas emissions and, uh, and stop leaks, which is a great thing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's going to open up so many capabilities, and uh, I mean, Jeff was giving us a, a bit of a, a background on that, but you know, I, I kind of wondered, you know, in terms of new business and new applications, what is this going to mean for GHG SAS? So the key thing is that we'll be able to detect smaller leaks, and the the smaller the leaks that we can detect, the the greater impact we can have. And that this will open up new markets and new users for us as well. So we'll be able to help on the climate change question in a different way. So, so from my point of view, this next, uh, this next satellite is really a step change in what we deliver. Yeah, indeed. And I, I guess it's, it's long awaited, of course, because at the moment we're all dealing with the uh, consequences of the pandemic. I mean, how, how did it make you feel when you found out that the launch had to go back? 
Oh, that's a that's a really tough one. I mean, we were, you know, well, we were all really excited about it. And I was personally, yeah, just just couldn't wait to see the data. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was tough when it when it was pushed back, uh, I have to say, but, uh, but it, it makes sense. And you know, the, you know, the health and safety and well being of everyone involved is absolutely the priority. And, uh, and so so now it's just kind of it's a little bit sweeter because it's taken taken a little extra time. So I think uh, I think we'll all celebrate in a in in a slightly um, I don't know like a, a different even maybe more special way than we would have otherwise. Because I guess that's the thing, right? Is you're not just sending something into space which is going to orbit the Earth and kind of help us understand ourselves, our world a little better. Uh, I mean, there's so much emotion invested in these things, right? So many hopes, so much of yourselves and so on. I mean, does, does that feel uh, a little personal, you know, when, when, when you experience setbacks like that? Yeah, for sure. It's a really personal thing. And uh, and we all experience it personally as individuals, but we experience it as an organization as well. You know, it's very much like a family. We're all uh, we're all part of this thing, and uh, and we all we all we all want to see it happen and and have yeah we have different takes on it, and it's it's fun to it's fun to experience it together as as a group. Even though at the moment, given the pandemic, we're not physically together, um, we still we still communicate about about the experience of it and and i really the most exciting part for me is the engineers these guys have poured their heart and soul into this and you know they've they've gone through the the first satellite onto the next onto the next step change and um yeah the the blood sweat and tears that goes into it to make it all happen and uh, yeah, it's it's exciting and it's emotional and it's rewarding when it when it works. Indeed. Well, you know, I mean, uh, to to kind of you know draw an illusion, they, they they say that you've got your whole life to write your first book, and then a limited time to do your second. I mean, how big of a milestone is it to have one Cyrus is up there, two satellites doing the work that GHG Sat does? So the second mile, the second satellite is always a a, a big milestone. The first one is. Uh, it's a proof of concept. It proves the point. And in GHGSAT, we've been really, um, we, we've we've really had a good experience with the first satellite. It's unusual with that demonstrator that you um, that you can deliver commercial services, but we've managed to do that. Um, however, at the same time as delivering those commercial services, we've learned so many lessons. And we've taken all of those lessons and we've captured them in the next satellite. So the engineering lessons, the operational lessons, and the data delivery and processing lessons, all of that comes together now in just this really big step change into that commercial domain in a different way. So the second satellite is that major milestone where you've, you've learned the bulk of the lessons and uh, and then you you know you have incremental lessons for subsequent satellites but the second one is really the special one what's next for ghg said i mean are, are there more launches planned i mean uh, what what's your uh, what's your kind of outlook beyond that so we've got we've got a constellation of satellites planned and we're also building building on the analytics side of things so the 
the constellation will come, it will deliver lots of data. And as I said, for me, it's all about the data. That data will come into our analytics centers. Um, we'll, have, we'll have one in Canada and we'll have one in Europe and those will, uh, those will really ramp up in the services that we deliver. So that's, that's what comes next is more launches and more analytics. Which is a really big deal, of course. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it seems almost impossible to think beyond everything that's pinned on this launch. But I mean, how, how many years ahead can you guys see at the moment? At the moment, we can, you know, we can see, I mean, we can see five years ahead because as I always say to people, climate is not going out of fashion. And this is only becoming more important and the, the data and information is, uh, is, is more relevant every day. So, you know, coming five years ahead, we can see commercial operators taking it up, industrial operators wanting to use it. The financial sector is, um, is really biting our arms off for this capability. They want to understand what are the, the environmental implications of, of what's happening in these companies and, uh, and the regulators as well. So, so it's just about building all of those, um, all of those different opportunities along the way. Well, it's a, it's a huge opportunity, certainly. But, you know, it, it's not just happening in a historical vacuum. I mean, it seems there are so many private companies setting new agendas and, and really almost changing the rules of the game. Do, do you feel like in a wider context, this is almost like a golden age for the privatization of space? Absolutely. The space landscape is changing every year. The commercialization of it is 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 just a, a completely different world to what it was even 10 years ago and 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 i think we'll we'll start to see some new technologies coming to bear that we didn't anticipate and uh, yeah and i can't wait actually to be honest i just can't wait to see the new ideas that that young people and the next generation bring to the table because in my mentorship roles, I come across some, some really talented people that are going to change the game and I can't wait to see how. New ideas and uh, new ways of thinking, I guess, are always hugely exciting. I guess that that's what so much GHGSAT is all about, but I guess it all comes down to the launch. Are, are you going to be watching yourself? Absolutely. You'd never miss a launch. The launch is a, it's a, a great and wonderful and stressful party all at the same time. We'll be in, in pandemic times. It'll be a different type of launch party than we're used to, but it will be equally as meaningful and, uh, and good fun, I'm sure. So tell me about that. Is that going to be a Zoom party or what? There's a few different things planned. Uh, I, I'm I'm not the pl party planner of the company, so so I tend to focus on just making sure I've got some some good drinks and that my IT is all working. So I'll see it happening as it ha as it goes. It's an important thing. Well, we'll be watching too. Adina, an absolute pleasure to have you on. Chat with you soon. Thanks a lot, Alex. Take care. And that does it for episode one of the GHG cast. We've many more stories to tell, so subscribe to us at GHG Set or all fine purveyors of quality podcasts. And big thanks to John Mitchell of Lonely Robot for the music.